Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. And in this episode, I interview Laura Zimmerman. Laura is an early childhood teacher who now works as a recruiter. And we talk all about how she's able to still help people, but in a different capacity outside of the classroom. We share all of the information and best practices that she sees that are important for candidates to stand out in the job hunting process, whether it's LinkedIn or networking or what jobs you're even open to. So make sure to listen to this interview for all of Laura's best advice. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Daphne. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'd love to start off just learning a little bit about your experience in education. How long were you a teacher for and what ultimately made you think about leaving the classroom? I was a teacher for like three and a half years. So I had to student teach in the fall of 2019. My college required it. And when I kind of wrapped up my student teaching, my school really liked me and I really liked my school at the time. And so they hired me on a little early. Um, they really needed a second special ed teacher, but they couldn't find one. And so they kind of hired me on as like a teacher that kind of filled that role, but I wasn't special ed. I didn't have that label. I didn't get that pay raise, all that stuff. I just kind of helped and would like pull small groups of students who needed support. So I kind of did that into the spring and then COVID happened. And then they offered me a third grade teaching position. And so I went full time in 2020. And so you went full-time teaching in 2020, and were you already thinking of other jobs at that moment, or did it take a few years before you started looking elsewhere? It wasn't until maybe like October or November of that year where I was getting like really overwhelmed, I think because maybe I had started previously and I had kind of shown my worth that I just don't feel like I got the support I needed. And I mean, I tried to ask for help and ask questions and everyone's overworked and burned out. But it was like, hi, I need a little more help here. I'm still just a first year teacher. 
I remember our instructional coach sitting down in a meeting for me at the end of that school year in 21 and being like, you're a first year teacher. And I was like, yes. And she's like, I would have had no idea by the way you act and like the things you do. And I'm like, yes, I'm still a first year teacher. (laughs) I think that that's something that ends up, no matter how long you've been in the teaching profession, ends up being kind of a common gripe of teachers. And one of the reasons why so many are leaving is if you come across confident, if you are a quote unquote, like good teacher, and that's how other people perceive you, even if you are saying, I need help, people look at you and say, no, you don't. You're okay. Like you have this figured out. And like you are articulating, like, I need something. I need support. And you wouldn't be asking for that if you didn't actually need it. But people are like using that as a little bit of like an excuse, like, no, I'm seeing you. You, you seem fine. I'm going to go somewhere else. Yes. And being like, oh, you're, but you're doing so great. And this is, and it like, it feels good in the moment and it pacifies you. But then the problem's still there. Yeah. And there's like the new teacher support. I do feel like it's such a strange way to be onboarded into a totally new profession because yes you go to school for it but they ultimately as far as like my schooling goes it didn't really prepare me for the job itself I felt like I like went into the role and everything was totally different than what they had taught us to expect in college for it was that your experience as well yes 100 percent. even though it was I would still say still very recent. Yes. And even student teaching didn't because I still didn't bear all the weight. I still didn't do all the planning all the time. And I still didn't do all the grading all the time. And I still didn't always do all the teaching all the time. And, you know, all the other things that came with it, you know, it was still shared with another adult. Yeah. I feel like the like project management piece dealing with 1000 upset or emotional like guardians all at one time, all of those things are not really addressed. And those are like some of the things that are the most overwhelming in the career. But let's talk a little bit about your transition and how long it took you to transition outside of the classroom. What were your next steps? Like you decided, okay, I'm going to look for something else. What did you do then? Yes. So I taught, you know, 20 to 21 then did 22 or what was it 21 to 22 and at the end of 22 I told my husband I was I was fed up I was done like I was literally I went to my like team lead who I knew she was leaving and she was going to take a um like a coaching role instructional coach role with a different district I was like a shell of a human I had no personality didn't know who I was and like I was like I have to get myself back And so I did a lot of self-work and I was like, I'm just going to stay one more year with this school district and then I'm going to leave and I'm going to take that time to find something else. And my husband kind of convinced me, well, let's try a different school district, different grade. And so I left and I went to his school district and I thought, okay, this it's smaller. It's there's less oversight. Maybe this will be better. But by November, I was back in that same thing where I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just done. And that's when it kind of, the transition started. And I was way more proactive. Like I wasn't just like wishing to get out. I was actively seeking a way out. 
So you started around November. What were your first steps? I think I had been following your Instagram account for a while. So truly it was going to your account. And like, I kind of started at the webpage because I was like, I don't know if I really need the whole course. And so I kind of started with the podcast and reading the articles. And that's where I kind of saw like, oh, you should upskill. And I started reading some, you know, things about resumes. And so I started trying, but I didn't get a lot of success. And I applied for lots of jobs, didn't hear things back. And I mean, I got one little like contract role where I could kind of do some education stuff and do some stuff with standards. And I thought, okay, maybe this is my upskill. But I was like, I think by like Thanksgiving, I was like, I'm going to need way more help. So I think you had the Black Friday sale and I bought the full course and dove in at that point. And did that help you kind of move a little bit quicker in your career transition once you had access to all those resources? 100% because it was more scaled. It wasn't me like just reading going through the articles and piecing it together, there were like the steps and then I could always refer back to a step. So the big takeaways for me were like the resume parts, following up after like an interview and then like, you know, how to utilize networking and LinkedIn. Those were big things I like just, I had blown off as a teacher. I'm like, oh, I don't need a LinkedIn and oh, I can just apply to this. And I didn't realize how important networking was. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that it's almost like there's this really amazing teacher transition community because teachers want to support one another. But there are so many people who do not have corporate experience, who have like kind of grouped together and taught each other, this is how we're going to use LinkedIn and this is best practices. And they have like this hashtag teacher transition And a lot of what is happening public-facing on LinkedIn is ultimately what could be potentially red-flagging them from getting any interviews because their activity is very much like, oh, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm not doing well with interviews. I can't get an interview or just things that you really don't want to necessarily put on LinkedIn, but they don't realize the difference of how LinkedIn really works. Do you feel like when you went into LinkedIn, you had like a very clear strategy? And what was your strategy? Not really. When I kind of got into the course, it was December. And so it was a little slow. And then like at Christmas break, I kind of picked up and was more serious with it. And that's when I was like, okay, this is my time where I'm going to really sit down with my LinkedIn. And I was like, I'm not going to post anything. I'm not going to be big about that, but I'm just going to clean it up have a better profile picture, have a better header, kind of clean up my jobs. And I didn't, I didn't put a lot of detail, but I just, you know, just try to make sure it didn't look so messy. And then I kind of turned it on to where recruiters could see that I was open, but I wasn't fully open in the hopes that, you know, maybe these next few months, something soft will kind of come landing my way. But I wasn't super active because I was just, By the time I got it all done, the next semester was starting. And I was like, you know, I know Daphne says it's two months when you're getting to the end. So I'm just going to be slow right now and search for potential companies I want to look at. But I wasn't super active on LinkedIn and I didn't really have a strategy. I just kind of cleaned it up a little. Yeah. And I think that's a misconception that many people have is that you need to post 
And that's what's going to help you get a job. And ultimately, what is going to help you get a job is a really good resume that you're sending to careers that are aligned with that specific resume. So spending more time focusing and finding the careers, making sure your resume looks great, and then submitting it. Posts, I feel like there's such a low rate of that ever being successful. Yes, there are times where you get laid off and you write, uh, hey, I was laid off post, and you get a DM and you're able to actually make a connection that way. But those are few and far between where the real strategy on LinkedIn is you just have to have it to match it up with your resume. And I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit because you are a recruiter. So now you're actually using LinkedIn probably to look at the people that you're starting to hire or to put onto the candidate list. Do you look at their posts to see what they've been posting? And how does that impact your decision from a recruiting standpoint? Uh, No, I rarely look at their public profile. I mostly look at them on the recruiter side. And then I will go over to their public profile and like connect with them to show them like I'm not like a bot, like I'm a real person. I'm truly trying to get your attention. And I might glance through it, but it's basically the same on both sides. But on the recruiter side, obviously, I don't like see their posts. I see more their work history. And so, no, I don't engage with their posts. I don't really look at it. I may just look at it if something was concerning, but not really. Yeah. And that's, there's always going to be different strategies for different people. Just like every teacher is different, recruiters have different strategies. But ultimately, most recruiters that I've talked to have said, if anything, I look at it and then I'm more concerned if they overpost because it seems like, oh, they don't understand company culture. Like oversharing on LinkedIn looks like you're just learning how to use LinkedIn, which scares people that you might not know how to use Slack or email or communicate in an office if you don't necessarily know how that platform works or how other people engage on it. Yes. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say it's almost like keep posting to a minimal, if anything. I don't think I've even made my own original post except for to thank people when I moved into my new role. That's my only original post. I've only just shared things that I felt like were appropriate and safe and wouldn't red flag me. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So 
So let's talk a little bit about your role as a recruiter. How did you ultimately find this position and what was that interview process like? So like with LinkedIn, like I said, I kind of opened it to only recruiters to see. So that kind of hoping maybe softly something would happen, but I truly didn't expect anything to happen. And like I said, I just kind of cleaned up my LinkedIn profile and I just kind of left it. I wasn't ready to actively begin looking because it was only the start of the new school or the new semester. Um, It was January. But at the beginning of January, an internal recruiter for my current company reached out to me and was like, you know, hey, I came across your profile. We've actually had lots of teachers come to our company and be super successful. I'd love to speak with you. And I reached back out and I was like, hey, I really appreciate your time. I'm interested. I didn't think I would be in a recruiter role, you know, but I'm interested, but I won't break my contract. And so if this role can wait for me by the end of the school year, I am open. If it needs to be now, I hope you think of me in the future. And he goes, well, obviously for the right person, it can wait. So can we talk? And so I was like, yep, you can call me tomorrow. Let's talk. I called him on my lunch break. It went really well. And I was like, yeah, I'm really interested. And the night before I researched the whole company the night before was digging into it and looking at their page. And I came across a picture and I was like, oh my gosh, I know that girl. I went to high school with that girl. So I reached out to her to like learn about the company. And I went ahead and that night knew I was interested and I tailored my resume so that when he asked for it on that phone call, I was like, yep, I can email it to you right now. And he goes, great. We're going to set up an internal interview with our internal person and she's going to take it from there. And so the next week I did an interview with our internal person. It's kind of just, it was more just getting to know me and my personality and what kind of person I was. And then a month later, I had my in-person interview with the office that I would be working in. And a week later, so at the end of February, I had a job offer. And that's very rare that someone would reach out and then also hold the job for that long. But that's amazing that that happened. There's always like an exception to every like, oh, this doesn't often happen. There's always going to be an exception, a best case scenario when it does. And I feel like you really lucked out with this. When they were asking you questions about becoming a recruiter, did you have to connect the dots for them on how your skills were transferable into a recruiting position? A little, but they've had lots of teachers come before, so I didn't feel like it was super difficult. It truly, I think, in the end for this company, they're just looking for a certain kind of mindset and they're looking for certain personality traits. And they're just looking for a really person who has a lot of integrity and is, you know, kind of gritty and will work hard. And I feel like I just exemplified that and it just worked out. Were you able to get an internal reference from that person that you knew from high school? Like, do you know if she pulled any strings for you behind the scenes also? I'm not sure if she did, but I do know when I like mentioned her name, they recognized her. So most likely, I would assume that they probably asked her like, oh, do you know this person? Can you vouch for them if they're on the verge of hiring you? But, you know, it never hurts. And that's also why LinkedIn is so important. I know you know this from the course and also from your recruiting position. But there are all of these, like I said, 
people who are teaching kind of made up best practices of like, hey, here's this thing called Social Saturday. Add 500 transitioning teachers to your feed so that you look like you have a lot of connections on LinkedIn. And like, that hurts what LinkedIn is actually for, which is you should be able to search, you know, blip for technology and be able to say, oh my gosh, I know this third connection of someone who knows someone that I actually know. I can reach out to that person I actually know and say, hey, you know so-and-so over here. You can't ask those 500 teachers that question because they have 499 other strangers who are probably asking almost the same thing. You really have to like fight through the noise in order to make authentic friends with strangers. It's just going to be more challenging and it's going to clog up your, your feed and your LinkedIn profile. Yes. And I will say it doesn't matter how many connect, like nobody looks at how many connections you have. That doesn't matter. Yeah, as like from a recruiting standpoint, you're not like, oh, this person only has 15 connections. They must be a real, you know, loser. We're not going to hire them. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't matter at all. I'm just looking at your skill set. Do you look to see if people have take LinkedIn learning courses or anything like that? And I know we haven't really talked about your role specifically, what types of roles you recruit for. But when you're looking, are you looking for those types of certifications on LinkedIn profiles? It depends on the role I'm on. So if the role wants those kinds of things and it's a pretty hard set, like they must have it, yes. If it's a nice to have, maybe I'll glance at it because it could be the turning point of like, I'm like, I think their skills match. I think they might be a fit, you know, and I see they've done this certification or I've seen they've done this course. They might be someone I need to talk to and, you know, I can kind of figure it out from there. One thing that I know we had mentioned when you were going to do this interview is just being open to jobs that are outside of your comfort zone. Do you feel like recruiting was one of those positions for you? Yes, 100%. I never would have thought I would do recruiting. When that internal recruiter reached out to me and that night I was digging into their website and I was looking at all the people. My husband's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, this is what happened today and tomorrow I'm going to get on the phone with him. And this is what's going on. And he's like, really a recruiter? And I was like, yeah. He goes, I don't see you doing that. He's like, I don't know how I feel about it. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to give it a shot. You know, I'm just going to see where it goes because I'm not really in the position to say no. And I'm, I'm curious. And the company looked really amazing from reading about it. And then, like I said, I reached out to that girl I knew from high school and she had wonderful things to say. And so I was just like, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm just going to see where it leads. Yeah. I feel like it's so hard to leave teaching because everybody has this idea of what a teacher does. Like, you know what a teacher does, you know what the day-to-day is going to be like. And you also have this like really big emotional attachment to it. But then when it comes to other job titles, there might be some that you have emotional attachments to immediately. And then there are others that you're like, I don't even want to read the subcontext of that. Like, I don't even want to read the definition of what that does because it sounds, oh, that's not something that a a teacher would do. But then once you actually start to get like your hands dirty, you realize like there are teachers in basically every other role and they're still using their transferable skills and they're still good people and finding happiness in their new job. How do you feel like recruiting 
still kind of fills that bucket for you? Because it's still helping people. I still work with people. I'm still helping people. I'm still connecting with people, even if it's in a a different way. I've always loved my students. It was always a joy to be with them. But I also really loved connecting with their parents. I worked in our after-school program for the previous school I was at. My new school didn't have a program like that, but I was the secretary for them. And I loved, like, I was like, man, I wish secretaries just made better money because I loved that job. I liked getting to interact with the kids when they would come in and when I call them in because their parent was picking them up early, but I like that I didn't have to plan anything. There was nothing extra. It was literally just having the relationship and then just having the relationship with their grown up. Just like have like being a positive face for them. That adult came in to the office and I'm like, oh, I'm picking up so and so. I can be like, oh, hey, how are you? How are things going? And I try to remember things about them and you know ask them things and strike up a conversation. And so I kind of get to take that over into recruiting that. I mean, I miss the kids, but like, I still get to connect with adults and like learn about them and learn about them as a human. And like, when I get to work with them, I humanize them as a candidate. You know, I don't just shoot over a resume and I'm like, here you go. Like, I mean, I humanize them as a person and I highlight their skills and why they're a good fit and who they are and why they should truly be considered. There are some hard moments as a recruiter as well, where you ultimately have to tell someone that you moved on to another round of candidates or that they didn't make the cut. Is that part of your job? Yes, it is. And I recently had to do that with a candidate earlier this week, but he was super understanding and very positive about it. I just kind of tried to keep it positive as well. Not to say in the future, there won't be someone who's pretty upset But I just try to keep it positive, like, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm not calling with some great news. This is what's happened. Um, But, you know, if you're looking, like, whether they're still actively on the market or they're just kind of softly looking, I'm like, you know, I'll still be thinking about you. I won't forget about you. And so I even actually just reached out to him today to run another role by him to see if he'd be willing to consider it, you know? So just keeping in touch with them also shows, like, that you were sympathetic when things didn't go through. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to not burn that bridge when someone does give you that news because, you know, you can be an amazing candidate and still not get the role. And ultimately, I've been in the position of hiring as well where because of what it is that I do, I did the thing that like recruiters and hiring managers often don't do, which is, hey, I will give you some feedback of what it was that ultimately led us to choose someone else just to help. Like, I'd like to help coach you for the next interview so that you're able to prepare a little bit better. And it hurt. It didn't hurt me more than it hurt the other person who really wanted to work for us. But it clearly upset them and got some defensiveness and, and, you know, an emotional response, which is totally normal when you're going through these feelings of stress. However, from a recruiter standpoint, if you're working with all of these other candidates at the same time, you don't have the bandwidth to give feedback like that and then have to deal with you know, responses, unsolicited responses, or continuing to coach back and forth. It's, it's just not 
something that you necessarily have time to do or something that you get paid to do. And that's the unfortunate reality. And I think that that's a misconception from people outside of the hiring world of like, well, why don't they do that? Yes. And sometimes, yeah, it's just there's not enough time. I know my company really tries to emphasize like the last hour of our day should be what we call consultant care, which is following up with those people, checking in with them, giving them feedback or telling them like, hey, we haven't received anything yet. Like I'm still thinking about you. I haven't forgotten or giving them interview prep. Like we try to be on the forefront of it, but things slip all the time. Absolutely. I like that's such a good work environment to have too, because it truly shows how your company does care about the candidates and the candidates best interest. I'm not saying like completely ghosting and never telling anyone what's going on is the right answer. But I do see with these companies that are much larger that are going through a lot of different candidates at one time, how it is a struggle to, you know, I'm not going to tell them that because they could get offended. And I just, you know, we're just going to say, hey, we went with a different candidate because they're more qualified and not say you should know that when you said something wild about you're leaving teaching because you hate your boss or, you know, whatever it is, it just felt a little unprofessional. Yeah, we try to like encourage to, you know, give the honest feedback. Sometimes you do have to kind of tie it up with a prettier bow and not be so specific, but we do try to be honest. And I just try to remind myself whether it's giving feedback or just calling somebody for the first time, and they get aggressive with me, the work, like, it's just over the phone. They can't hurt me. The worst they're going to do is maybe say something mean. And I can always leave that conversation. Or the worst they're going to do is I think the worst so far I've had is someone just straight up hung up on me. And I'm like, that can't hurt me. It's okay. (laughs) I mean, that's part of how you said your company was looking for someone with like grit, being able to prove like, oh, this is, you know, this is a kind of feedback I got as a teacher. They didn't, I have a thick skin. I'm totally okay with taking some negative feedback because there are some people who would say, hey, this little bit of a negative response towards me, I am in such a heightened stress of like PTSD from the school environment that I'm leaving. I cannot be subject to any more abuse. And this would not be a good position for me. Like there, I know that there are so many teachers who may hear even this little bit. Absolutely not. I can't take any abuse. I was worried I would too, because I worried about it from parents, you know, and even from students. So I worried how I would deal with it. And I would say, I mean, I'm not very far into it. So things change. And I've heard from other people how people have spoken to them. But so far, I would say most of my interactions are really positive. Even if they have no interest in speaking to me, I just try to be as polite as I can. And that seems, you know, to work. You know, I've had some people be like straight up like, nope, I don't want to speak to you. And I just go, okay, thanks for your time. I try to just like kill them with kindness. And it's almost kind of like they're like, oh, okay, thanks too, (laughs) you know? And so it can be like when that individual hung up on me, I was a little like, oh, But I was like, they can't hurt me. It's a really good attitude to have. It sounds like you found a really good role that's a good fit for you. You're a positive person and you sound like you've found something great. And I'm really excited for you. I'd like to ask a couple more questions before we have to go. And because you are a recruiter and this is advice that I have given so many times on as much as I can, 
for people who are looking for like well-rounded career advice, usually look for hiring managers, recruiters. These are the people that like our team work with at Teacher Career Coach. It's the former teachers that have worked on our team. Some of them are recruiters. Some of them have worked as hiring managers. Some of our old team members have. And these are the people who hire for the wide variety of positions. They're able to scan a ton of different types of resumes. And they actually have that experience from a hiring standpoint instead of one person who's done it in one situation, because that one situation may have been skewed with one hiring manager's opinion instead of kind of like a generalized best practice. But because you are a recruiter, that's a long tangent for me to go on. (laughs) But because you're a recruiter, I'd love to hear what advice would you give for transitioning teachers that they may not know right now, maybe they're not inside the Teacher Career Coach course and they haven't seen all those resources, but like, what advice would you give them that you're seeing them making a mistake of that you wish from a recruiting standpoint they understood? Definitely the cleaning up your resume, the keywords, because it's going to go through some kind of tracking system. And maybe you get lucky and someone does look into it. I try to really look at people's resumes and I try not to just glance at them, try to kind of understand their work experience, but um, definitely have those keywords in there. And don't just put keywords whatever, because if someone like a recruiter calls you up and starts asking you and then you don't really have a lot of experience with it, you know, you've kind of wasted your time and their time. I've seen so many people that I think are doing it with the best interest. It's like a game of telephone of like, oh, I think I saw someone who got a job and this is their resume. And then it's like someone copied it, who copied it, who copied it. And none of these people are like experienced in like recruiting for that position. And like me looking at it, I'm like, that's just a bunch of corporate words that actually don't make sense. It would be like from a teaching perspective, if you had a bullet point that said like increased 75% IEP for standardized testing for gate students and differentiation for professional learning communities or something like that, which is just like, that's just a lot of words. And it makes you look like you don't understand this job at all. But I feel like I've seen that more and more commonly with people like just trying to fill in the blanks. Yes, just kind of throwing them out there. So definitely make sure it's something you truly, you know, feel like a skill you do possess, um, whether that's like a soft skill or like a true technology skill. And the format you gave us on the career coach, that is just so much easier to read there's lots of advice out there on how a resume should look. And I definitely in the beginning fell into that camp where I was definitely using the wrong format of resume. And sometimes people get lucky and those resumes will maybe get through, but for readability, it is so much easier if they are just very simple, very plain, and they go from left to right. 
Yeah. So you feel like the teacher career coach course set you up for success when it came to writing your resume and all the verbiage that we give and that like classroom to corporate translations piece in the module and then also with the resume templates? 100%. I straight up use the template and then follow the advice on like how to kind of word it, kind of take that corporate lingo. And I felt like my resume never looked better. And then now as a recruiter, like, again, I try to give every resume a chance because I remember being on that side of things and probably sending out like 200 applications. Again, just looking for upskilling work, not full-time work just yet. So I can't speak to full-time work, but never hearing anything back or never getting anything and being like, is this my resume? Is it not? Just And just knowing I had like, once I got into the career coach, knowing that my resume was just straight up trash, <laughs> it was like, oh, that's it's really bad. <laughs> I feel like so many people have that exact same experience of like, well, I don't want to invest in this program because I'm not getting any results, which means that it's impossible. Like, I'm already doing all this. I already did all this work. And that's what means it or that's showing me that this is impossible and I shouldn't put in any more effort. And then it's like, well, opposite may be true. Like you may be putting in all this effort blindly with something that's just not helping you make progress if you don't know what you don't know about this totally new world. Yes, it's something they do not teach you and you're not taught it in college there was just so much I just didn't know. And that, like, I thought I could kind of figure it out on my own, but I definitely, like, could not. And so I was so glad when I finally got into the career coach and got into it. And it was nice to be able to, like, it's all, like, in one place. So I could always refer back to whatever I needed. So, like, when I needed to go back to that template. So when I cleaned it up for the recruiter role, I went back to that. I went and got that template and filled it in and used that advice, you know, and, and did the same, like when I was like, okay, I'm going to follow up after my interview. Well, what was she provided a template in there? Let me go back. And I was like going back and looking, I was like, okay, this is what you say. And this is what you do. And I'm so happy that you found so much value in it. Um, always excited to talk to a success story from the teacher career coach course. And I feel like I could ask you a million questions from a recruiter standpoint, but I have to end it. But I'm going to end it with my favorite question, which is, what did you learn about yourself during this process? Because it is a hard process and you probably went through a lot of really big emotions. What did you really like learn about yourself that may have surprised you? I don't know if it surprised me, but that I have really high expectations for myself and that sometimes it's okay to take a break and that I needed that reminder. But I also learned that I don't give up as easily as like I thought I did because I felt like I started so many times in the previous year thinking about leaving teaching when I got in and was like, this is not what I thought it was going to be this, I'm not happy. This isn't what I signed up for. I can't see myself here long-term. That once I actually put my mind to it, I was just really proud of myself that once I finally committed to it, and again, the career coach made it a lot easier to commit to because there was very clear steps that I could actually stick with it. And I was just really proud of myself for being able to stick with it. But it just kind of showed me how hard I was on myself as well. 
Yeah, kudos to you. It is a big project. Completely transitioning careers is a really big project and it takes a lot of grit, which you have shown throughout this podcast interview that you are the type of person with a lot of grit. And I think so many teachers also have a lot of grit. But Laura, I'm just, I'm so happy that we got to connect and I'm so happy that I got to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me. I've followed the account for like so long and I engage with it occasionally. And so like when I sent in that little message about, oh, I'm a recruiter and I'm a grad, I did not expect anything from it because I'd engaged a couple of times and was just, you know, just trying to be a positive follower. So I was so happy when they're like, hey, we want to interview. I'm like, oh my gosh, yay. Well, thank you so much for, you know, jumping on and being so quick to do this interview. By the time this airs, you know, we've announced that I am pregnant. But I just was looking for, you know, former teachers in a variety of different roles so that we could batch as many as possible so that I would have them in case I needed them for maternity leave. So thank you for that as well. Oh, love that. That is so great. And yeah, my big thing to end it with is just be willing to see where things can take you. Because like I said, I would never have put myself in a recruiter role. I did not think I would like it. Um, I didn't think it was for me. Even my husband was like, I don't know about that. But it really has turned out to be the greatest thing. Well, congratulations. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you, Daphne. I appreciate what you've done. I appreciate your team so much and just the whole community. I'm going to cry. I'm emotional. I'm, I've got hormones. Thank you. No, it's all, all good things. It just You are such a great person and your team is so fantastic. You've found such great people to support you. And this is such a good thing. Thank you so much. Now, I want to give a huge thank you to Laura for coming on this episode and sharing all of her wisdom with us. We actually have a former teacher who worked as a recruiter who works for Team Teacher Career Coach, and you can find her back on episode 91 talking all about how to get clear on your career path. So if you are interested in learning from another former teacher turned recruiter, head over to episode 91. Thank you so much for listening to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast, and we'll see you on the very next episode.